Hey, I'm Adam. And I'm Brian. Of Everyone Has a Podcast, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 108, Sequels We Wish They Would Make. Chris McBrien, along with Derek Byers, and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. You'll find us on Twitter at Amaron underscore DM for Derek, at C McBrien for me. And if you go to popgoesyourworld.com, you'll find all of our contact information there. Derek Myers, how are you doing, my friend? Chris, I am doing great. It is the first day of my two-week vacation, nice. and it's already off to a great start. Nice, nice. I should mention, before we get into things, after July 1st, it's that time of year again. So after July 1st, if you go to the podcastawards.com, you can actually nominate this podcast, Pop Goes Your World, in the entertainment category. And while you're there, make sure and nominate all your favorite shows in the various categories. You just go to podcastawards.com, and under the entertainment category, click, I've got us registered. Just go in there, find Pop Goes Your World, nominate us. We would certainly appreciate that, wouldn't we, Derek? Absolutely. And you got to, you know... Remember that you're voting on the body of work that's been done this year, which would 100% absolutely include the contributions from Yancey Eaton. So you're not just voting for Chris and I, you're also voting for Yancey's work as well. Yeah, maybe Yancey will vote for us. I don't know. I'm going to vote for us. Oh, okay. <laughs> I voted for you every year up until now. Why would I stop? Thanks. We've been very lucky. We've actually landed nominations the, la- the first two years of our existence. So who knows? If we can make it three, that'd be great. So what, so what you're saying is if there's no nomination this year, <laughs> I'm blaming you. it's yeah. because of me. It's it's the absence of Yancey is, no. is what's going to be the problem. Of course not. Of course not. So what's going on in uh, pop culture for you right now? Well, uh, as I mentioned, I uh, started my vacation today, and because it's uh, the long weekend here in Canada, mm-hmm. my employer was nice enough to let us leave at lunchtime. So oh, this afternoon, nice. my wife and I caught a matinee, and we went and saw the new movie just released today called Yesterday. Mm. Are you familiar with this film, Chris? I am not. I am not. Is it in wide release? I don't think it is. It absolutely is, yes. Okay. It's uh, uh, directed by Danny Boyle, who okay. people will probably know from Slumdog Millionaire yes. and Train Spotting. Yep. And it's uh, written and produced by, I can't think of the name, but I have the entry here somewhere, uh, uh, Richard Curtis, who is known for Love Actually. So you got Train Spotting and Love Actually. And the, uh, the premise is basically the main guy. Um, is in a bicycle accident in the first 10 minutes of the movie, and when he wakes up, nobody has ever heard of the Beatles. It's as if they have never existed. Oh, ever. I've heard of this one. Yeah, and he, he remembers okay. the Beatles songs because yes. he's a, a struggling musician, and he decides to pass them off as his own work. He records <laughs> nice. all these Beatles hits and suddenly becomes a superstar, and it is fantastic. It is absolutely the best movie I've seen all year. Uh, well, okay, hold on. With the exception of Avengers, which is a different kind of movie. True. Movies versus films. Sure. Yep. This is the best film I've seen all year. It will absolutely get a nomination for Best Picture Oscar. No question about it. It should win a Golden Globe for Best Musical, assuming they enter it in the musical category. The uh, performance by the lead, he does all his own singing uh, of all these Beatle covers. Um, uh, the actor is, uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly, Hemish Patel. He's a English guy with Indian descent. And uh, I just love that the main guy in this movie is not a white guy. And it just adds that cosmopolitan element to the movie. And he's a great singer. He's very talented. And if you love Beatles music, or even if you just sort of like Beatles music, there are, I think I read it's uh, something like 20 Beatles songs are performed at some point during this, this movie. Some in, in their entirety, a lot of them just sort of shorter bits around the chorus, the parts that, you know, it was great. It was so much fun. The music was great. It reminded me a little bit of the uh, of Bohemian Rhapsody in the sense of whether you loved or hated Bohemian Rhapsody, you got to hear all these great Queen songs. And it was sort of the same idea. Whether you love or hate this movie, there's a ton of Beatles music in it. Um, but whereas the Queen movie was actually Queen with Freddie Mercury uh, in it, this one, the the songs are all performed by the, the lead actor. And uh, no, it was fantastic. I, I can't say enough good things about it. It was really, really good. I really, really enjoyed it. 
you got a solid writing team, a solid director, solid producer, solid performances. This thing is A plus across the board. I can't recommend it enough. I encourage everyone to go take a look at it. Oh, that's awesome. And I really like the way that you mentioned how the lead actor is of India descent. So it kind of adds a cosmopolitan flair to the to the movie because the Beatles music was so cosmopolitan too. Like they did everything from teeny bop stuff when they started all and then they went down and you know met with the Maharishi Mahashyogi and were doing this, you know, crazy sitar kind of stuff. So that's just oh, it sounds good. I really like the Beatles a lot. Best band ever. Best band ever. Yeah, it was it the movie was was so good. And so like we have this big uh barbecue party every year Canada Day, July first, which is the Canadian equivalent of uh, July fourth in the US. And so I always host it at my house. And I'm always responsible for providing the music. Nine times out of ten, we just throw on a local radio station or we stream, you know, 80s music or whatever because that's nice. what we like. Yep. But I, as I, after I watch this movie today, I'm like, I may have to put together a pretty extensive Beatles playlist yes. for this party because a lot of people are bringing their kids. And these kids are probably around 10 years old. So they're at that point where they're starting to be uh, influenced by pop culture and music. So I think that it would be in everyone's best interest for me to educate these children and give them a taste of the greatest hits from the Beatles. Oh, definitely. And when you mentioned how the, the Beatles music is so diverse in its nature, kids love the Beatles, too. Everything from, like, Yellow Submarine to just everything. It's just oh, everybody loves the Beatles. They're so good. Well, and the, the music, because it's from uh, a different time, right? Like, mm-hmm. it, it's so innocent. It's I want to hold your hand. It's like it's not like today's music, which can be very suggestive or like in some cases not even subtle at all Mm -hmm. these are these are like you know quote good clean and wholesome kind of songs that are fun for the whole family because they were written produced recorded uh in a time where there was such tight control on what kind of things could be said over the radio that they had to be good clean and wholesome and they are and they're great it doesn't take away from them the fact that they don't drop an f-bomb or you know use derogatory terms for women it's like these these songs are are universally loved for a reason and you know it's funny just one last thing on the beatles and then we'll we'll move on um but i was talking to my wife just the other day about the beatles and we were talking about and i said to her i said do you realize that the beatles crafted their huge you know catalog of music in a span of six years and she's like what i'm like it was like 64 to 1970 honey and she's like, what? Really? I'm like, yeah. Like, if you think about like a band, like, I don't know, just pick like a more modern band, like something like the Coldplay. Black Eyed, Black Eyed, okay, Coldplay. Like they, they do what? In the span of six years, they might do two albums. Maybe. You know, maybe. Yeah, you, you might know? get three or four number one hits or five yeah. or six top 40 hits. But when you yeah, think to about put together a greatest hits album, it's right. going to take you. 10 or 15 years at least when you think about the breadth of music and just the catalog and the diversity and just the artistry that the beatles created in a span of six years mind-boggling once in it's not once in a generation i think it's once in humanity that it just comes together like that when you have two songwriters like lennon mccartney come together just absolutely unbelievable unparalleled just so good oh man i gotta go see that movie now you've convinced me I'm going to go see that. I will definitely go see I have every intention of going to see it again. And uh, I posted a thing on social media right away when we got out of the the movie. And I just said, like, two huge thumbs up. A plus. Can't recommend this movie enough. I I guarantee it'll get an Oscar nomination. Like, it it checks all the boxes for people that love movies and love music. Uh, I've got to say, like... I'd be shocked if it doesn't get the accolades that I expected. Well, we will see, but I will definitely go see it. Okay, on that note, let's get started. Hold on, I got, I got to open a beer. I got to have a say, beer. I need to take a big swig of mine. <laughs> let's have a drink, because this is going to be a lot of fun. Almost like a pirate radio guy during the war. Like- <laughs> I just go back and watch Meatballs and Stripes and Spokey the Bandit and all those shows that I love. Instead of playing a bar, they should have played, like, a minor league hockey arena. Yeah, he's a man, young man. Drive me crazy with this stuff. And that wasn't cool. Long duck dong. For those of you who have not been keeping count, I have. Jaws, Star Wars, and Raiders of the Lost Ark are my three favorite movies of all time. Holiday wrap. Yes, we're going to ring reggaeton for a holy day. Okay, so this week, I, I we came up with kind of an interesting topic. And then, of course, it's sequels that we wish that they would make. And the reason why this kind of came to the forefront was uh, about a week and a half ago, I was upstairs and I put the TV on in our room and, you know, it's at night and, you know, I was like, oh, I got to put something on and just, you know, fall asleep. And my wife was already asleep. I come to bed. I, I'm studying right now. So, like, I'm, I've gone back to school, as, as I think I, I shared with you. So, I'm up studying a, long, a, long, a lot of time. So, anyway, so I go to bed and I put the, the Netflix on and I'm flipping around and I come across this movie 
and it's called Titanic 2. And I'm like, what? What the hell is this? Titanic 2, still sinking. Like, yeah, I'm like, what? what do you mean Titanic 2? Did they raise the Titanic? Was it a spaceship? Yeah. <laughs> like, what the? And then, and then I'm reading the, the description in it, and it's like, oh, no, they built another Titanic. It's This one's, this one's called Titanic 2. And it's going to come. And, of course, it's going to hit Iceberg and sink, too. And I'm like, what is? This is crazy. Like, why would they make this sequel? Like, I remember a lot of people were down on the fact that they made Titanic in the first place. It's like, we know what happens. Why are we doing this movie? And it went on to be, you know, one of the greatest films ever made, right? Uh, most successful, anyway. But that, so I'm watching this Titanic, too. I didn't watch the movie, but I was like, I can't believe that this is a thing. And it got me thinking. And I thought, well, what about some sequels? Like, this is a sequel that never should have been made. But there are, there must be some sequels that we wish that they actually would make that they haven't made, which is hard to believe in this day and age of like sequel crazy Hollywood where they're making sequels on everything. Um, so we got thinking about that. And you and I got talking off the air and said, we should do a show on this. So we decided to come back and we'll do a, a typical top five format show uh, where we're going to go back and forth and we're going to talk about sequels that we wish that they would make. So do you want to start us off, Derek, with your number yeah. five? We'll work our way up to number one. What is the number five sequel that you wish that they would make? Okay, so before I, I jump in, as mm -hmm. always, I need to qualify this. Sure. So I came at this from a couple of different ways, and, and your list may be slightly different than my list just based on your approach. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they'll be different with the choices, but I tried to avoid any movie that is based on an existing intellectual property that already has material. So, for example, if a movie was based on a book – and the book has five or six volumes and they've only made one movie, it would make sense that if they ever do make a sequel, they're just going to go to book number two. Gotcha. So I tried to avoid okay. something like that because that's sort of a given. That's where it would go if they chose to make a second one. So I, I avoided anything like that off my list. The other thing was I was looking at it from both the point of view of do we want this sequel to be made today or do we wish the sequel had been made not long after the original. So, for example, if I picked a movie from the early 80s, maybe I wish they had made a sequel in, you know, 1989 that would have mm -hmm. been close enough to the original. Maybe some of the original performers are no longer with us. They've passed away or they're too old to play those characters. So I'm not limited by what we can actually do. I picked I, I think just about every one of mine is I wish this sequel had been made at some point. And I don't think any of these could probably be made today. That's not what I'm going for. So okay, gotcha. with, with that yeah. qualifier and your 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 uh, qualifiers may be slightly different, but that's mm -hmm. sort of the context <laughs> of how I came up with mine. OK. okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, for each one, I've also and I think you did this, too. I came up with a suggested title for what I think the sequel should be called okay. and a brief synopsis of what I think it might what, what a synopsis I think might work. Which is not to say it would be the only one, but just something that after kicking it around a bit, you know, I think the sequel could be called this, and this is what I think it could be about. Oh, this should be good. Okay. okay. <laughs> so the, the number five on my list yes. is the 1999 film Galaxy Quest. Have you ever seen Galaxy Quest? Yes. I actually went to see that in the movie theater when it came out. It's like a spoof of Star Trek. It's like these Star Trek yeah. fans that, yeah, I, I saw it. Yeah. It was actually quite good. It, it was, was quite, quite good. good. Yeah. I yeah, was it's surprised. got Tim Burton and yep. Sigourney Weaver and Alan Rickman. Tim, Tim Allen. It's got Tim a Allen. great yeah. cast. Yeah. Okay, so the sequel would be called Galaxy Quest The Journey Continues because at the end of Galaxy Quest, they go back to recording new episodes of their TV show, and that's what it's called. So it would make sense that the sequel to the movie would have that title. And so I'm thinking this probably – so the movie was 1999. I'm thinking the sequel would have probably been about three or four years later. Uh, unfortunately, Alan Rickman is no longer with us. So if they decided to make this movie today, they couldn't really put him in. And his character was pretty vital to the dynamic of that crew. So I don't necessarily think it would work as well without him. But uh, this is the, the the brief description I put together for what might be a potential storyline. I said the crew of the NSEA Protector learned that Commander Mathazar has gone rogue. He's become a blood. He's become bloodthirsty. And has engaged numerous other systems in an, into an intergalactic war. Commander Taggart, Lieutenant Madison, Dr. Lazarus, and the whole crew know there must be more to this story. So they decide once again to become the heroes that they play on TV to help their friend and save the universe. Very nice. Very nice. Okay. Uh, so we'll see. Whether, do they ever make it? Probably not. Maybe it could be a, an animated sequel. Oh, you, that's we've a good said idea. that before, yeah. right? It's like, why make 
why make it animated if you're not going to do something you could do in real life? Well, if some of the cast has passed on, you couldn't on, do it, right? You get a voice sound alike, you do mm-hmm. it as a cartoon, maybe it works. So, there you go. anyway, <clears throat> my number five. Sequel to Galaxy Quest. Okay, so I'm going a little bit of a different way. All mine are like Gen X movies. What a shock, I know. Oh my Um, god, no way. Yeah, I know. I'm surprised. Uh, Anyway, so my number five is History of the World Part 2. So, just last episode, we were talking about Mel Brooks when we reviewed 1987 Spaceballs. And we mentioned he has never done a sequel. Now, he did hint at one when he made 1981's History of the World Part 1. Because... He put part one right in the title. and But unfortunately, a sequel was not to be. But if they did make it, what I think they should stick with are the ideas right from the movie itself. Have you ever seen History of the World Part 1, Caveman? I have, but it's been a long, longer than Spaceballs. Like, I probably saw right. it. What year did it come out? Early 80s? 1981. So I think I saw it on video, because uh, obviously I would have been way too young to see it in the theater. I think I saw it on video probably around... 1990, and that's probably the last time I saw it. Well, at the end of the movie, I don't know if you remember this, but right before the credits, they say, be sure and come back and see History of the World Part 2. And then they show a bunch of previews from the sequel that was not I do remember. I don't remember what they were, but I remember that device. And it's like all a joke. But some of the previews that they show are really, really funny. So the first one is Hitler on Ice. And it's like yes. there's like yes. Hitler out there dancing and he's doing, you know, like doing ice dancing and all this in, in this you know routine. And then there's a Viking funeral. And then, of course, the big number, <clears throat> Jews in space. Oh, and right. it's it's like this spaceship. It's like the Star Destroyer from Star Wars, but it's in the shape of the Star of David. <laughs> and the song that they sing, they're like, we're Jews out in space. We're zooming along, protecting the Hebrew race. When Goyim attack us. And then it's just like craziness. So then they shoot down the bad guys, the Goyim. Right. And there's and when they shoot down the spaceship, there's like these two Orthodox Jews that are in like the, the Star of David spaceship and they're doing like this Hasidic style dance together and it goes back into the song. So funny. Just like we said last week with Mel Brooks, like he just plays on these stereotypes and it's so funny. So I, I, I remember being a kid watching this movie and just lo- love like just loving History of the World Part One. It's just juvenile. It's just Mel Brooks at his best. It, like and, you know, the movie bombed, but I loved it. And I just, I really wish that they would have made part two. So that's my number five. Okay. On to your nice. number four. Yep. Good pick. Yep. All right. Uh, I, I, so I'm just looking at my list and it turns out four of my five picks are all from the 90s. So anyway, oh, that's good. Well, we can talk more about that after once you know what they are. Okay. My number four pick is a sequel to James Cameron's 1994 hit True Lies with Arnold Schwarzenegger. I think the sequel would be oh, called, yeah. sequel would be called No More Lies. And this is the synopsis I've come up with. And again, I think this would probably be so this came out in 94. I'd be I would have been looking for this like in the early 2000s, like maybe about seven or eight years later. So this is the uh, this is the synopsis I've come up with. Uh, Harry and Helen, a.k.a. Boris and Doris, are tasked by the Omega Sector to find and enlist a freelancer called DNA for an important case. This elusive up-and-comer demonstrates his ability to do the job and evade capture. The taskers are shocked when they learn that DNA is actually their daughter, Dana. Can they complete their mission with the help of DNA, all without revealing their own secret identities? Interesting. I gotta, I gotta be honest here. I have never seen True Lies. What? Never oh, seen. My God. I know. Hard to believe, eh? never yeah. seen it well not really chris there's so many good movies from know. the 90s you've never seen but <clears throat> i know this one so uh, i heard think it's back good to Arnold schwarzenegger think back to schwarzenegger's career in the 80s right he had all of these movies some were hits some were super hits but it's like even commando and raw deal and predator like they some of these ones big, that weren't yeah. like super duper awesome movies they were still pretty good and they did pretty well at the box office then in the early 90s he does last action hero which and is like his bombed. first yeah. bomb yeah it was brutal it was bad although a lot of my friends tell me oh no if you go back and watch it now it's not as bad as you remember i'm like i think it is <laughs> um and then so this true lies came out a couple years after that and there was like this you know worry that well maybe schwarzenegger's past his prime right. can he still do what we know him for and, you know, James Cameron is James Cameron. Like, that guy barely he, – he, I don't want to say he never makes a bad movie, but he knows how to make a movie. Well, speaking of sequels, early in his career, his first movie was Piranha 2, The Spawning. 
okay, well, you know, we all make some mistakes. Let's yeah. not hold it to that. Mm-hmm. But he did Aliens, which was a sequel, not to his own work. He did Terminator 2 Judgment Day, which was a sequel to his work. Yep. So anyway, then he comes up with True Lies in 94, where he's, again, got Schwarzenegger in the lead. He, You know, by now, Schwarzenegger's done a few comedies, and you realize this guy actually can be funny. So you give him an action movie with some funny parts. You team him up with Tom Arnold, who – you know, love him or hate him is very good in this movie and adds some much needed comic relief. You had, uh, I, I heard, actually Curtis. heard again. I haven't seen it, but I heard Tom Arnold was really good in it. He is excellent in this yeah, movie. He's not, he doesn't that. have a lot of screen time, but his line, he's got it. They use him just enough. I think if they'd used him any more than they did, it, it would have been too much. But well, because usually Jimmy, you want him in small doses, you know? Yes. Yeah, yes. For so sure. Good. Good idea. So anyway, True Lies was a huge hit. Uh, it sort of – I don't want to say it like rejuvenated Arnold Schwarzenegger's career because I think he was already doing OK. But after the flop of Last Action Hero, True he Lies back, was, yeah. was a huge bounce back and then you know, it, it was great for him. So anyway, this was one that I think would be ripe for a remake. Um, there's a lot of material to use there. It had uh, a pretty big cast. There was a lot of good supporting actors both on the good guys and the bad guys sign, side. rather. Um, so yeah, this was my number four pick. All right, my number four. Remo Williams' The Adventure Continues. Love this movie. So back in 1985, for those of you that don't know, this movie came out called Remo Williams' The Adventure Begins. But the adventure never continued because the movie bombed. (laughs) You know, let's be honest, it did. But I liked the movie. I remember my roommates in university thought I was nuts for liking this movie. The scene where the Doberman jump up and they pull the escape ladder uh, down with their jaws. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember my roommate hating that scene and thinking this whole movie was the stupidest thing he'd ever seen. And he was like berating me for it, as most people do about my movie choices. I mean, that's fine. But anyway, if the adventure did continue, this is how I would suggest that it would go. So you've got now a very aging Remo Williams, obviously, and he has to go on a search for his son, who's been recruited into a shadowy organization that McCreary fell into. Remember when McCreary got captured in the first film and they come on him with the lights? Yep. So in order to locate and rescue his son, Remo recruits the help of Chun's son, played by Jennifer Grey. Now, let's just work with me on this one, okay? Yeah, I know where it's going. Since Joel Grey played a Korean man in the first one, why can't his daughter play a Korean man in the sequel? Right, because it's so politically incorrect. That's why. (laughs) But you know, it's but it's Gen X stuff, so it's all good. And her her character's name would be Baby Chun, which is of course a reference to both the fact that she's Chun's son, and of course a nod to her role in Dirty Dancing. So anyway, with the help of Baby Chun, Remo gets his son back, and then they slide back into a life of eating cheeseburgers. So that's what I would do. All right. So I'll tell you why I would not have. So I liked Remo Williams much like you. Um, but I'll tell you why it didn't make my list is Remo Williams is based on a series of books called The Destroyer. And I think there was like 30 books written in that series. So I remember seeing that in the opening credits and not knowing even what that meant. Yeah, my one of my uh, one of my good friends, he he got into those novels. They weren't very long. They were only like 180 to 200 pages a pop, which most novels are between three and 400 pages. So they were like quick, easy reads. And uh, yeah, I remember he when we saw Remo Williams, he thought it was you know one of his favorite. Again, we were like, what year did it Remo come out? Eighty five. So we would have been eleven. So we went and saw this as eleven year old boys, and it's like, oh my god, this is the greatest thing. Cool and he went and bought a bunch of the books, and you know, eleven year old boys reading the novels, and he's like, this is the greatest thing ever. I remember he had a ton of them on his, but he probably still has them to be honest. And now that he's got sons, I'm imagining this is the kind of slop that he's going <laughs> right. to feed to them. And the wife's going to be like, what are you reading to these boys? Uh, when this came out, I remember too, they really sort of marketed it as um, a competitor for James Bond. It was like, oh, yeah. this is going to be the next James Bond right here. But it was really like, I like this movie a lot, but I'm also going to be honest. Like it was pretty poorly made. Like it was, it, it felt oh, like of it, course. it felt like it had like no special effects, no it was budget. Super low budget. Yeah. yeah. And it sure. was like, you know, they, they hired not great actors for it, except for Joel Grey. And I know it's like completely not politically correct to have Joel Grey, the guy from Cabaret, to play a Korean you know, especially when you when you think back to like the history in Hollywood of things like you know Mickey Rooney and like Rooney. Breakfast, yeah, of Breakfast of Tiffany's, oh, Tiffany's. God, so, oh, so oh, racist, so awful. But Joel Gray, if you go back and watch his movie, Joel Gray was actually fantastic in this role. 
As he, an eleven-year-old, I didn't realize me. he was a white guy. Yeah, he stood out to me. Like he was good. God, he's a, he's a very underrated actor. But anyway, I mean, even he couldn't really save this movie. I don't care. I like cheesy stuff. I like this movie. I wish that they'd make the adventure continue. So anyway, on to your number uh, three. What do you got? So before we go to that, let yep. me tell you two of my favorite parts of the Remo Williams movie. Oh, oh please, number yeah. one. When he wakes up in the in the hospital room and they're mm-hmm. like, we're going to give you a new identity. This oh, is a yes. name we've put a lot of thought into. And oh, the guy yeah. picks up the bedpan and turns it over and it says manufactured by Remo Williams. He goes, your name is Remo Williams. No, it, was, it was manufactured in like Remo, Indiana or something yeah. like that. And he's like, Remo. And then he just noticed Williams off the chart of the, yeah. the guy who was there before. Yep. Yeah. So that always made me laugh. And then near the end of the movie, uh, he's like, Chun, you're incredible. And he goes, no, I am better than that. That and again, that was one of the lines my buddy who was mm-hmm. loved this movie. That was always one of the ones where like you're incredible. No, I am better than that. And we're like, oh yeah, you are. <laughs> so good. I I gotta go back and watch it. We're gonna have to often nominate. It probably that. doesn't hold up at all. I swear. If we watch it now, we're probably gonna be like yeah. cringing on how <laughs> no bad some of it is. But I do remember a huge part of this movie, or at least one of the scenes, takes place near the Statue of Liberty, and it yes. was all like had the scaffolding because yeah, all because they were like, they were doing a, like a reno on it at the yeah, time. Yeah, in yeah, the 80s. yeah. So it really yeah. dates the movie. Yeah. Definitely. All right. So what number are we on? Uh, number number three. three. What have you got for you? Right. Number three, my friend. Number three. Yes. It's a sequel to a movie that I have seen the original probably 50 times or more. Wow. Dirty Rotten Scoundrels from 1988. Wow. Oh, this so is... let me tell you before I move on. So I, when I was 16 years old, I won a radio contest for a free trip to Costa Rica to a five-star resort for a week in Costa Rica. Was it a scam? Was it real? No, no, no. It was totally legit. Wow. I won a radio contest. And then when what did you, I won the How did you win it? What did you have to do? So it was one of these things where, like, they they played, clip, like, half-second clips of, like, a dozen songs, and you had to be the 10th oh, caller, yes, and you okay. had to identify all 10 songs yep. in order, artist and title. And, like, as a youngster, I was a movie – I was a, tri- a music trivia, yep. like, savant. It was crazy. And I mean, I still know music trivia well, but not like my wife. And so anyway, I identified all these songs. and I won the trip. And then when we got off the air and they're taking all my personal information, they're like, how old are you? I'm like, I'm 16. And they're like, oh, I'm sorry. We can't award you the prize. You have to be the age of majority, which is 18 in province of Ontario. I said, look, man, I had to bust my butt to be the 10th caller and name these things. Like, I want this prize. And they said, OK, I'll tell you what we'll do. If one of your parents or guardians claims the prize, you can go on the trip. I'm like, OK, great. Then they further said once we actually sign the paperwork, your parent doesn't have to go with you, but it has to be someone who is 18 or over. So I had a cousin who had just turned 19 and I called him up and I said, how would you like to come with me on a free trip to Costa Rica, five-star resort, all-inclusive? He's like, well, what are the dates? And I tell him and he goes, that's perfect because the week after that, I'm going to Florida with my family. So this will be great. I'll have a week in Costa Rica and then a week in Florida. So the two of us, 16-year-old, 19-year-old, we go to Costa Rica for this all-inclusive five-star resort. It was outstanding. It was so much fun. But we only got two English-speaking channels while we were away. One was CNN. And this was during the first Gulf War. So all they were showing was war coverage in Iran, which we couldn't care less about because we were a couple stupid teenagers. And the other channel was a movie channel. And it showed Dirty Rotten Scoundrels on a loop the whole week we were there. It must have shown it 20 times. And whenever we were in the room, that was the only English channel. So we just had it on. So I've seen Dirty Rotten Scoundrels so many times, (laughs) largely because of that trip. So anyway, my number three pick is Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. I would call the sequel... That dirty jackal. And this is the premise I've come up with. Freddie, Lawrence, and Jessica run an elaborate scam, but soon realize that they all have conflicting secondary plans that may disrupt everything. Never trust a scoundrel. Nice. So, have you seen Dirty Ryan Scoundrel? I have. You're going to hate me. I didn't really like it. Oh, dude. Now, I, so I have heard that they have either made a remake or in the process of doing a remake of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels where it's a gender reversal, where it's two women are trying to extort money out of a male, uh, uh, what are they, uh, Mark. Okay. Like, uh, as, yep. So I haven't seen it. I don't know if this is actually out or if this is something that's still in production, but it's like takes place now. So I, I don't know how it would work. But in the original, you had um, – Steve Martin as Freddie and you yeah, had uh, Michael, Michael Kane, Kane as yeah. Lawrence and unfortunately uh, for the life of me I can't think of the woman's name who played uh, the jackal uh, but I believe she has passed on and uh, and it was I, I remember this movie so fondly like I love Steve Martin 
And it's nice to see uh, Michael Caine in a comedic role because he usually doesn't play funny. Um, and uh, no, I, I have a this. This is one of those movies that I have a fondness in my heart. And at the end of the movie, there's like this tease for what could come next, where the two guys are about about to say their goodbyes to each other, and then the woman shows up with like this whole yacht full of people, and she's like, uh, guys. Last year, I I ended up robbing this much money from these many people. But your fifty thousand was the funnest I've ever had. Let's go and like take advantage of all of these stupid people. And then they walk off. Like you know, they're going to work together to do something. So building on that, I think that's where the sequel would go, and it would take place like a year or two after the original, but very close to it. So nice. That's okay. my number three. All right. So my number three is very short and sweet. Okay. So it's coming to America too. And I'm going to call it Coming to America 2 Electric Boogaloo, just because I like that title. <laughs> so in this one, Prince Akeem and Semi return to America only to find out that Donald Trump is the president. So they leave and go home to their shithole country, Zamunda. The movie runs two minutes and three seconds. Done. That's it. Oh, I don't know whether I should laugh or cry. It's I know. funny art imitates life, but sometimes not so funny. Remember, it's taking place today. My idea okay. is so this is what would happen. They'd come over, yeah. you know, see this is but, going on and leave. But Arsenio Hall needs to work, man. Yeah, no, he hasn't worked in a long time, I don't think. So I don't think. Well, it- I, I would hope that Arsenio had banked some of that money from his talk show and from his movie appearances when Eddie Murphy put him in a movie. But I think the reality is Arsenio's probably could use the money. Yeah. And it's too bad because, it, you know, the movies aside, because really, I mean, movie wise, he did this and he did Amazon Women on the Moon. And that was pretty much it. But. He, but his TV show was so popular when it came out. I remember it, it, it yeah. when it came out in, Very the, in the early '90s. It, it started at 11 instead of 11:30, which was the traditional time for the Tonight Show to start. And the fact that he was African American was it was groundbreaking. He was that was a, it was a pretty influential show. Like it was Bill Clinton playing the saxophone. That that like, that basically got Bill Clinton into the White House. It was a huge factor yeah. of it because he just realized, hey, this is a this is a guy that we can relate to. You know, after all these years of this Republican uh, in the White House, you know, after, with Reagan and then and then Bush Senior, they're like, we need somebody in there that's more relatable. And here's this guy on TV with Arsenio Hall wearing sunglasses and playing the sax, and you know, it was a huge thing. Yeah, no, his show was influential. No, no two ways about it. He was so. he was the right guy at the right time yep. in the right place. Yep. And sometimes that's all it is, right? It's timing. Yep, that's all it is. Okay, so your number two sequel that you right, wish that they two. would make. Okay, so. I asked a few of my friends who are pop culture nerds, hey, guys, I'm doing this podcast about sequels. What do you like? And the response I got from some of the diehard movie fans right away was there are some movies that are so good. Don't mess with them. Don't screw them up. Don't do a sequel. They are perfect the way they are. And any if you touch on the intellectual property that they've created, you're just going to hurt the original brand. Don't do it. And my number two movie was one of the one of the films that people constantly said, you know what, no matter what, I would never do a sequel to this movie, this movie, this movie. And the, my number two pick is one of the movies people said, don't do a sequel to, mm-hmm. but I'm going to. So it's one of my all-time top favorite movies ever made, 1994, Pulp Fiction. Ooh. My sequel would be called Jules Walks the Earth. Hmm. And in this sequel, Jules Walks the Earth, traveling from place to place, helping people, getting in adventures until his journeys take him where God wants him to be. Because he was one of the only characters in that that kind of laid out a plan for himself afterward. And, and he was one of the only characters that you really cared about what happened to him afterward because they were all such despicable characters, right? Very well, and, interesting. And very, very So interesting. I actually, one of the other sequels that I considered but didn't go with was Kill Bill because uh, – which was not a franchise I really enjoyed that much. But yeah, I was a okay. big fan of yep. Tarantino. Yep. But in Kill Bill Volume 1, um, Uma Thurman's character uh, has a fight with – oh my god, I can't think of her name. And, but the other woman was like, I should have been Black Mamba. And she kills the woman in her kitchen and then the daughter is standing there. And Uma Thurman says to her something like, you know, when you grow up, if you're still bitter about this, come mm-hmm. and find me and we'll have a reckoning. It's so v- like, Vivica A. Fox, right? Where there, she's got you. the knife. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. In the cereal uh, box. Yeah. So I'm like, well, maybe I could do that as the sequel, which again, it probably could work. But because I didn't really enjoy that series that much, I, I couldn't justify putting it on my list. But Pulp Fiction, I literally watched Pulp Fiction today as I was riding the subway home. It's one of those movies that is always on my phone. So when I have 15 or 20 minutes, I just call up some of the movie and I watch it. I actually watched the scene 
with uh, Samuel Jackson and John Travolta where they're in the diner and Jules actually has this conversation where he's like, you know, I'm telling Marcellus I'm leaving the life and then John Travolta's character is like, well, what are you going to do? And he's like, I'm going to walk the earth. I'm going to go from place to place, get in adventures, help people like Kane and Kung Fu. And he's like, you're going to be a bum. You've decided to be a bum. <laughs> and so yep. – but I think I think that would give an opportunity for Tarantino to continue his rapid fire dialogue yep. and his, his you know the quirky things that he makes people say and it would get Samuel Jackson to be the star of his own movie not that he needs help I mean that guy works in so much <laughs> uh, but I would I would be interested in seeing what that movie is about especially when you have this changed jewels that's no longer a gangster or is struggling to no longer be a gangster and wanting to better himself by helping people and you know he's just going to be put in a circumstance where he's got to pick up a gun and kill someone, which will cause this moral dilemma. So I, I potentially think this could be a great sequel, but I think it would have had to have happened much closer to the original release date. I don't think you want to see this movie now. I think too much time has passed. I think the character has aged, the, the actor has aged too much. But, you know, this came out in 94. Maybe you get a mid to late 90s sequel. I think it could have worked. Jules Walks the Earth. I that like it. my number two. I like it. That's a good one. Okay, my number two, I'm going to go with The Goonies 2, The Search for Sloth. Now, needless to say, I love The Goonies. I'm a Gen Xer, so I pretty much have to like it, right? Um, now, we did a remo- review of this movie back on episode 76, in case you want to go back and give it a listen. Now, I actually went to see this movie in the theater when it came out back in 87. I actually took a date to go see it, and she never spoke to me again. She she would Afterward, she used to make fun of me because I took her to a movie about a bunch of kids running around in a cave. <clears throat> I wasn't very popular with the ladies back in those days. Shocking, I know. Uh, but anyway, there's been talk of a sequel in the past. I'm not sure how true those rumors are. I, I think at one point, J.J. Abrams may have even been attached to a project. I don't know. I've, I've heard rumors of a remake, too. I hope they don't go there. But anyway, so my idea for the, the, the plot of the sequel, uh, the Goonies would reunite. And they would do so in an effort to try and locate Sloth, you know, for the title. And so Sloth went after the treasure aboard One-Eyed Willie's ship that sailed out to sea, right? So he went after it, and it turns out Sloth fell in with a, a group of pirates along the way. And he's now out, like, raiding commercial vessels. <laughs> so, so He's the captain now. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> And, of course, the Goonies have to avoid Francis and Jake Fratelli, because Mama Fratelli, you know, she died years earlier. You know, may she rest in peace. Uh, so anyway, so they need to avoid the Fratellis and track down Sloth, and it all takes place at sea. So that's my idea for The Goonies, too. Nice. You know, again, when I ask people about sequels, The Goonies was one that people kept coming back. and they go, You got a new sequel to The Goonies! I'm like, you know what? The Goonies, to me, was just okay, but it never held a place in my heart like it does for a lot of other people. And I knew, for example, that you really, really love this movie. I do. So I, I just stayed away from it. I don't but know. I, I figured you might put it on your list, and you didn't disappoint, Chris. There's something about it. Like, again, I went to see it. Like I say, I was probably like 17 when it came out. So, But there was something about it that still tugged at me. Because, I mean, when you're 17, you're not quite an adult, but you think you are. You know, you think you're cool. And... There was something about it that just tugged at my inner child that said, oh, my gosh, I would love to go looking for treasure. Like, isn't wouldn't everybody love to do that? I don't care how old. And then with Brand in there, I was like, oh, well, he's a bit older. OK, so it's still cool to kind of do this. So that, you know, I, there was just something about that movie. I don't know. I just I, everything about it. I love right from the opening sequence, the music, the characters. I don't know. I just love that movie to death. So anyway, your number one nice. sequel that you wish that they would make. Okay. I, I'm fairly certain you have never seen this movie. Okay. Lay it on me, though. This is, this is the third movie on my list from 1994. The original was called The Professional or Leon The Professional. Have you seen it? No. Not have I you ever heard of I it? I've never even heard of it before. All right. So the original. The Professional? Uh, in, it's in, in the North America, it was called The Professional. In Europe, it was called Leon, the professional. So okay. my sequel would be called Matilda, the professional. And I'll tell you why as we go through the description of the movie. So, uh, well, let me start with the original. So the original was uh, the, the professional in question. The character Leon was played by John Renault, a French actor. Are you familiar with him and his body of work? I don't think so. I think he's one of those actors that when you see him, you'd go, Oh, he's a that guy. Yeah, totally. Is like, he the guy that was in um, Godzilla? 
Yes. Yes, I know who you mean. Yeah. Yes. Uh, he's a good actor. He's a good he actor. He is I like a fantastic him. actor. If you ever get a chance to see any of his work in uh, French-speaking films where he, like, yeah. he gets to – he's the lead actor in his original language. I mean he's a good actor, period. But an actor that can speak multiple languages, when you get to see them perform in the language that they know the best, they generally put on the best performance. Um, there was one, I think it was called Crimson Rivers. It's like a murder mystery that happens in some northern, uh, I want to say like Swedish or Norwegian area, and he's a detective. Man, oh man, it was so good. But anyway, Leon the Professional, he's a he's an assassin. He's a professional hitman, and he uh, in the in the, he lives in like this uh, you know middle of the road apartment in New York. And one at the beginning of the movie, one of his neighbors. Um, who is a drug dealer gets busted by a police raid and the family gets slaughtered in the process. And the daughter of the family happens to be out buying groceries. And when she comes back, she realizes, uh oh, there's a problem here. And in order to avoid capture, she knocks on the professional's door because she knows it's her neighbor. And she's like, oh my God, please, please, please let me in. And she's played by Natalie Portman. And I believe it was her first movie role. She's got to be like 10 years old. And so. The guy's got a heart of gold. He lets her in because he knows if I don't let her in, these cops are going to kill her. And then through the course of the movie, he starts to train her to be an assassin so that she – the two of them together can take the revenge upon these dirty cops who have killed the parents who were despicable in the first place. But hey, murder is murder. And uh, so anyway, my sequel would be all about the daughter played by Natalie Portman and I would want to see this made today in its current context. The movie came out in 94, so let's do a 25 years later. What's happened? So uh, it would be called Matilda the Professional because her name was Matilda. And I'm saying, uh, you know, years later, Matilda has established a reputation every bit as impressive as her mentor. But when Tony runs into trouble, he gives her up to the U.S. government. Tony was a handler uh, who has been tracking her professional career since the assassination of a senator while jogging in Central Park years earlier. Again, a, a callback to a scene from the original. Matilda will need to rely on her wits and skills to elude the authorities and throw them off her trail permanently. So I would very much love to see this movie made today with Natalie Portman in the lead as a professional assassin. And again, with Danny Aiello in the supporting role as Tony, I think this movie would be fantastic. That's my number one pick. And, you know, of all the ones we've mentioned tonight, and mine are mostly goofy, I think maybe that one has the most legs of actually, like, potentially getting made. Because it sounds like it, it might be really good. Yeah, well, hey, I certainly hope it would. But uh, we'll see. I mean, Natalie Portman's gone on to win an Oscar. So, you know, sometimes that, that puts certain projects out of reach because their their dollar figure is just – unless it's a labor of love, they're right. not going to do it without a paycheck. I seem to think – now that you mentioned this and as you're talking about that, I was thinking about it. And I seem to recall like like a DVD cover or something of him. And isn't he wearing like a, like a toque and a, like a pair – like – Sunglasses, sunglasses or something. Yeah, yeah. like I, for some yeah. reason now it's starting to come. To, I've never seen it, and when when you first mentioned, it, I'm like I've never even heard of it. But then I start to think like I think I know, and I don't really know much about it. So, okay, so my number one <clears throat> sequel that I wish they'd make again, going back to Gen X, it's Ferris Bueller's Day Off Work. Okay, so the original, it's awesome, and you obviously know that it's a it's an amazing movie, right? It's so much fun. One of the my favorites, Gen for X sure. classic, right? And they must be able to get the original cast back together for a sequel, right? I mean, when's the last time Mia Sarah worked? Alan Ruck was in Twister. He did some TV, I think. Come on, he was in uh, he was in Speed. He was in the the was he in this TV show Spin City? I think he was. Yes, he was in Spin City. He's worked. But I mean, but still, I mean, he'd be up for it, right? And Broderick's not doing Broadway anymore, is he? Maybe we got to make this happen. I don't know. So the plot for me, for this movie, uh, Ferris and Cameron are now working on Wall Street, okay? In some like high paying gigs. So instead of Chicago, it's Manhattan. Uh, But it's like stressful, right? Stressful work, right? So Ferris, of course, convinces Cameron to take a day off work with him. So they skip out on work, they go to the ball game, they run around like Bergdorf Goodman's, and they get into shenanigans in Harlem or something like that. And the whole time they're stressing big time that they're going to get fired, right, when their boss finds out. But it turns out like he's younger than them. And and so, you know, they don't have to worry because when their boss finds out they took the day off work, he, the boss doesn't care. He's a millennial. He chalks it up to a, a mental health day. So everyone lives happily ever after. And, and until there's a twist ending, though, of course. Ferris and Cameron then quit their job 
and they go to work for a rival firm, and it turns out that their new <laughs> their new boss is a Korean named Baby Chun, and is of course played by Ferris's sister Jennifer Grey. So it all comes full circle. <laughs> <laughs> so there's okay. that. <laughs> okay, so let me tell you. Okay, chew on that one. Ferris Bueller's Day Off was yeah. actually on my list. Mm-hmm. It was. Um, and for years, I've been saying Ferris Bueller's Day Off could have the potential for a fantastic sequel if mm-hmm. done right. But this is one of those ones that, if done wrong, could have this backlash on the original franchise. And like, in- like if they like if they were in Manhattan and Jennifer Grey was their new boss, for yeah. example. So yeah. <laughs> I've always felt that Ferris Bueller's Day Off could benefit from a sequel, but I always imagine the sequel being. Ferris is an educator. He's a teacher or a principal. I'm thinking a principal of a high school. And he's the principal that always has his eye on the students. And when they try and take a day off, he knows all of the all of the possible ways that they're going to try and pull it. And he's able to catch them and stop them before they can actually go go ahead and do the kind of shenanigans that he did when he was a youngster. So in my mind... The movie is about some of the faculty having worked under Ferris, the the principal. They know that you can't pull a fast one on Ferris because he he knows what's up. And for some reason, a bunch of the faculty, maybe Cameron has become one of the faculty and he's had a falling out with Ferris. And he's like, no, 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 we're going to do this. Something comes up where they're like, we have to take the day off. And then the faculty is trying to like maybe three or four teachers are trying to take the day off. And Ferris, as the principal, realizes I've got to catch them to demonstrate that nobody outdoes Ferris like Ferris. And and I've always felt that could be a very good movie. Yeah, it's interesting. I think that might actually work. And so of, of all the, the sort of potential plots that we put out here tonight, you have definitely uh, killed it in terms of ones that could be realistic. I was just goofing on a bunch of them. But, uh, but I still wanted to see all those movies. And, of course, they're all Gen well, X stuff. So, so I, had, I had a list of about... 10 other movies and one of the ones that I, I struggled with but couldn't come up with a great one uh, was The Princess Bride I always thought that could potentially do it but everyone kept saying no the movie's perfect don't yeah, mess with the, it that's, don't that's, screw that's with tough. that movie that's tough. so I decided and, to put it on the shelf and just ignore it and it was funny because I, I you know I obviously love that movie and I introduced my sons both my sons to that movie and they both loved it and then my oldest son he's 10 and we read the novel together I've read the book too. It's quite oh, good. It's it, it's very very similar to the movie. Some of the dialogue is exact. Very much, yeah. And it, it the book the book was really really good. It was funny because the end of the book kind of leaves things open. I don't know, maybe something else happening. Like like the the prince is like right on their heels and he's chasing them and they just kind of almost kind of get away. So I don't know. Well, or I, I what I what I suggested to one of my friends was what if you do Princess Bride sort of the next generation where it's like. Uh, Inigo Montoya has become the Dread Pirate Roberts. He probably, you know, and maybe he's got like a protege that he's been t- tutoring up. And the uh, Wesley and Buttercup have had a child, and the child has been put in some danger where, you know, Inigo Montoya and his prodigy have to rescue them or something. So you sort of have some parallels where you touch on the original characters, but the movie's not about the original mm-hmm. characters. So, or or some other sort of adventure in the world of Princess Bride. Where the other characters that you know are sort of there, but are not the pivotal storytelling, like the story characters. So, anyway, who knows that it didn't make mm-hmm. the list. It wasn't. It wasn't. I didn't feel like I could make a sequel that would be strong enough. Right. I'm going to stick with the five I picked. And it's so hard because like some of those movies, like uh, the Princess Bride and the Goonies and stuff like that, they're just so good the way they are. Just don't mess with yeah. them, right? It's so hard. Okay. Anyway, on that note, what do you say that we have some fun with Caveman? Okay. So in order for me to have fun with you this week, I think I better open up a drink here because we're going to have a <laughs> lot of fun, my friend. Okay, so this week we talked about sequels that we'd like to see them make. But what about those sequels that we wish they never made in the first place? Oh my God, okay. So we're going to play a little game tonight and it's called The Worst Sequels Ever Made. And by the way, just as an aside, I think we definitely need to do an episode sometime on The Worst Sequels Ever Made. Oh, I, I agree. I think that would be a great show. I okay. agree. But anyway, for now, we're just going to play a game about the worst sequels ever. Here's how it works. Okay, so Derek, I'm going to give you the synopsis of a film. You name it. This okay? Sorry, this is the original or this is the sequel? This is a sequel. Okay, I'm oh going to God. give you the okay. synopsis of the film. You name it. The thing is, all the movies are bad, and in some cases, really bad sequels. 
Okay. All right, Chris, if I don't know the answer, my default answer will be electric boogaloo. Break <laughs> to electric boogaloo. There you go. If I don't know the answer, I'm not going to say, I don't know. I'm going to say electric boogaloo. So you know that they're all bad sequels. Okay. So, so, so since you've got the heads up that they're yeah. all bad sequels, you have to give me the title exactly. In okay. order to get okay. it correct, okay? So uh, some of them uh, have... We'll see how many of these I've actually yeah. seen, and it's probably going to be an embarrassing number. And, and some of them, like, I, I want the title exact. And I tell you what, okay. if you answer more correct than you get wrong, you will win yourself a DVD copy of Titanic 2. Sure. <laughs> okay? So, <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, so just because I have to, I'm going to start with this one, okay? Two Jedi escape a hostile blockade to find allies and come across a young boy who may bring balance to the force. That would be Star Wars Episode 1, The Phantom Menace. That is correct. Yes, it is. It is uh, one. That's, Chris, that's not a sequel. That's a prequel. That, but, it, it was, but it was made after the original, so I sure. decided I'll to include it. Okay? All it's right. funny you mention that, because I have Return of the Jedi on my screen literally as we've been recording this, so I'm all Star Wars right now. Oh, so like you've got the TV on and they're playing Star Wars? It was Empire Strikes Back, and then it oh, switched nice. over to Return of the Jedi oh, while we were so recording. Good. It's a oh. Star Wars marathon for Canada Day weekend. All okay. Star Wars all the time. So as soon as we get off the uh, the air and recording, get to tell me what channel it's on so I can put it on and watch it myself. Done. Okay, no so problem. you got you got yeah. one right. Okay. Yeah, one right. Next one. Mr. Miyagi is back, and he takes a new pupil under his wing, a troubled adolescent girl. Name the movie. Oh, that was uh, – okay – so I listen, one of the podcasts I listen to is one of the Kevin Smith podcasts, and they were just talking about Cobra Kai season two, and they talked about the sequels to the original Karate Kid, and it was – this is the one with Hilary Swank. It was uh, Karate – I want to say – I never saw it. I think it was Karate Kid 3, the next Karate Kid. I'll give it to you because it's, it's not Karate Kid 3. It's just the next Karate Kid. All right. So I'll give it to you. Okay. Todd Howard is a struggling teenager. Nothing seems to be going very well for him. Oh, I know this. Until he turns into a wolf. Name the sequel. It was Teen Wolf 2, but it was T-O-O. Yes. Or as Jason Bateman. Yes. Or as I like to call it, Teen Wolf also. (laughs) So good for you. All right. Chief Brody's widow believes that her family is deliberately being targeted by another shark in search of revenge. Uh, well, it's definitely a Jaws movie. I'm going to think this is the stupid fourth part. So it was called Jaws 4. I think it was Jaws 4 The Revenge, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, I'll give it to you. It's Jaws The Revenge. Nice. Okay. Elwood must reunite the old band with a few new members and go on another mission from God. Blues Brothers 2000 with John Goodman. Yes, it is. Oh, God. Never saw it. So, so, we talk about stupid, stupid sequels. They call it Blues Brothers 2000. It didn't even come out in 2000. It came out in 98. God, so bad on so many Now, I remember they shot part of this or even all of this in the Toronto area. And a bunch of my friends were extras in many of the scenes. So, I remember when it came out on video, everyone's like, oh, I'm in the scene or I'm in the scene. I'm like, I don't care. This movie looks stupid. I'm not watching it. Yeah, I'm like, sorry. Sorry for your luck being involved. I was still working at Blockbuster Video when it came out. And it was a bunch of the people that were employees at Blockbuster were like, I was totally in this movie as an extra in this scene. You can totally see me. I'm like, don't care. Don't care. Let's watch something good. Okay, an English student at a 1960s American high school has to prove himself to the leader of a girl's gang whose members can only date greasers. Wow. Uh, Well, given the language you've used, I've got to think it's the sequel to Grease, which I think was just called Grease 2. That is correct. It was Grease 2 from 1982. Okay, when a crass new money tycoon's membership application is turned down at a snooty country club, he retaliates by buying the club and turning it into a tacky amusement park. Name the crappy sequel. Wow. Uh, that doesn't sound familiar at all. I've It was uh, Breaking 2, Electric Boogaloo. No, I'm sorry. It was Caddyshack 2. 
Caddyshack. They made a sequel to Caddyshack? Yes, they did. It came out in 1988, and it was one of the worst sequels ever made. How many people from the original movie were in it? Chevy Chase, and that was it. Okay, The Man of Steel crusades for nuclear disarmament and meets Lex Luthor's latest creation, Nuclear Man. And remember, I need the full title. Yeah, it was called Super Superman. I'm ashamed I know this. <laughs> and I've honestly only ever seen it once, even though I own the DVD. It was called... <laughs> I can't so even say it without laughing. It's so Superman bad. Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. <laughs> no wonder you're laughing. It was awful. You are correct. Good for you. Okay. A computer hacker breaks into the computer system of the Seaborn Legend cruise liner and sets it speeding on a collision course into a gigantic oil tanker. Name the crappy sequel. Uh, did this sequel happen to star Jason Patrick and Sandra, Sandra Bullock? No hints. Well, I think it did, and I think it was called Speed 2 Cruise Control. It was, and it came out in 1997. Correct. A year that I was still working at Blockbuster Video, which is why I know and have seen that crappy-ass movie. You're doing very good. You're eight and one. So you yeah. are you are definitely on pace to getting the Titanic yeah. When you DVD. work at the video store, you see a lot of crappy <laughs> movies or know about a lot of crappy movies. When you get 10 free rentals a week <laughs> you watch a lot of crap. also get 10 free rentals a week, you watch a lot of crap. So if it came out between... 95 and 2000, there's a good chance I've seen it, and there's an even better <laughs> chance I've seen it more than once. All right, next one. Larry and Richard use a voodoo-revived corpse to track down hidden money to clear their names. Name the crappy sequel. This was a sequel I never saw because the trailer just looked so bad, but this was Weekend at Bernie's 2, and I think it had a subtitle, but I don't remember what it was called. It did not have a subtitle, which is Weekend oh, at Bernie's perfect. 2. Good for you. Okay. Kids all over America want silver shamrock masks for Halloween. Dr. Daniel Chalice seeks to uncover a plot by silver shamrock owner Connell Cochran. Name the crappy sequel. Oh, I totally know this. It's called um, Break Into Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. It's called Halloween 3 Season of the Witch. I have never seen any of the Halloween movies. Not I'm not a fan of the horror genre, and I have never had any desire to see any of these movies. The first Halloween movie is fantastic. The second one, uh, the third one, they veer off. It's not even about Michael Myers. It's about something. It's about these masks. These kids. It's like three more days till Halloween. Halloween. It's a stupid, oh, stupid movie. Um, okay, next one. A teenage girl once possessed by a demon finds that it still lurks within her. Meanwhile, a priest investigates the death of the girl's exorcist. Name the movie. Uh, it does not sound familiar, but I think it's, from what you've said, it's probably a sequel to The Exorcist, but since I don't know that for sure, I'm going to go with Break Into Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> <laughs> you would be incorrect. It's Exorcist to The Heretic. Sorry. Never heard of it. It came out in 77. Did okay. it have anyone from the original movie? Yeah, Linda Blair was in it. That was it. Okay. Two children are stranded on a beautiful island in the South Pacific. With no adults to guide them, the two make a simple life together and eventually become suntan teenagers in love. Name the crappy sequel. Well... <laughs> Did this one have Willie Ames by chance? Or <laughs> no. <laughs> I think it was the sequel to The Blue Lagoon, and I think it was something about paradise. No, the closest. Go. Because that was, uh, that was the, the movie with Phoebe Cates and Willie oh. Ames. It was like a ripoff of it. No, this one was Return to the Blue Lagoon oh. in 1991. Oh. It, it had that girl from the, uh, I don't know, they're like those. Was some, it called Break Into Electric Boogaloo? Something like that. I know she did a whole bunch of other movies. Uh, I don't know what they are. There's some okay. science fiction movies. Sure, now or I'll something. take the word for it's it. Crappy. Sounds crappy. Okay, <laughs> this is one of my favorite ones. Okay, my favorite one of all. This is the last one. You're gonna win. You're gonna win the DVD of Titanic too because you're nine and four. Okay, it's it's five years later, and Tony Manero's Saturday Night Fever is still burning. <laughs> now he's strutting toward his biggest challenge yet. 
succeeding as a dancer on the Broadway stage. Name the worst sequel of all time, please. Was this directed by Sylvester Stallone, perhaps? <laughs> it was, I think it, it was would di- be Staying Alive. It was, yes, congratulations. <laughs> yes, it was. In 1983, they came out. It was with, so bad. Oh, it was I like didn't care worst. for Saturday Night Live. My, it, like, it's, again, not a genre that I really care for. Mm-hmm. But I remember seeing Saturday Night Fever, rather. Sorry, Saturday Night Night Fever and thinking, eh, it was okay. And then seeing Staying Alive and going, wow, this was so bad. Actually liked. I thought Saturday Night Fever was actually quite good. I thought it really captured. If you want to look at a movie that captures the time in which it's made, that one did it. I I, I thought it was quite good. And it was kind of gritty. And uh, he came from this poor family and he he knew what he wanted to do and then you know all the things that happened to him and, and the way he treated women and so like, I thought it was very gritty and realistic um, but this movie is one of the worst sequels of all it, not, not, it is the worst sequel of all time no question about it so anyway uh, on that note um, congratulations you've won yourself a DVD of Titanic 2 I will make sure and get that to you congratulations Woo-hoo! I love winning Everything's great Awesome, awesome stuff. So on that note, um, for our next episode, you're going to have to nominate a, a movie for me to watch. What would you like me to watch? And then we can come back and uh, and review. Uh, what have you got, Caveman? All right. So, Chris. Yes. In 1983. In 1983? It was a very successful and popular television show that ran for a number of years. Okay. In 2010, they took this intellectual property and turned it into a movie starring Academy Award nominees... Liam Neeson and Bradley Cooper. I know where you're going with this. Yep. The movie is called The A-Team. Yes. Based based loosely, very loosely, on the original 1980s television series. Have you seen the movie? I am going to drop a bomb on you right now. Because I'm a Gen X-like guy and I like all that stuff, I have never even seen an episode of the TV series. Perfect. You're going to come in completely yep. fresh. I, I'm, right. I mean, I'm familiar with it. I mean, I remember B.A. Baracus, you know, Mr. T and all that stuff. And Face Man, that was um, uh, Dirk Benedict from, from, uh, from Battlestar Galactica. Like, I, yep. I, I, I'm familiar with the show, but I yep. never watched an episode. It just wasn't all my right. kind of thing. So in 2010, they took this and they turned it into a movie. Yeah, and the, I remember. The movie is sort of a straddle between campy homage to the original but it actually is in my opinion quite a decent adventure movie keeping in mind that it's very over the top because the tv show was very over the top but it's one of the remember way back like i think in the first 10 episodes of this of this podcast you and yancey did guilty pleasures yes this movie to me is one of those guilty pleasures and i don't even think i need to feel that guilty because i know a lot of people that really enjoyed this movie when this movie is on TV, I stop to watch it no matter where it is. I really enjoy it. I mean, I got to be honest. I have a little man crush on Bradley Cooper and anything he's in, I'll watch. But this movie, it has a fantastic opening sequence that runs about 20 to 25 minutes. And, uh, you know, I, again, I know you did an episode on like best opening sequences. This certainly would would qualify to fit in that category. And it also qualifies for the category we did tonight in that the ending is left wide open for a potential sequel that they have yet to do. And I really cross my fingers, hope they do because I think the cast is great. I think the story is great. I think supporting characters are great. They've got a lot of talent behind this movie. I really hope you enjoyed this movie, Chris, and we'll come back next week and talk about it. I, the only thing I know about this movie is that I remember seeing like, like the movie poster for it. And it was like Liam Neeson was like the lead actor and they kind of changed his face. I don't know if they use like, I don't know, like some sort of latex or something to make him look more like George Papard. No, they're not. That's not, that's not true. They dyed his hair gray just to try and make him a little older, but, uh, that's it's like, it. I thought they like changed his like nose no, and no, stuff no, like no, that. I don't know. Like that. It, it looks just like Liam Neeson. It's he uses, I mean, he tries to use more of an American accent, but and that's fine. It, that's, that's inconsequential too. Again, it's an action movie. Just take it on that. And keep in mind that the 80s show that it's based on was pretty cheesy mm-hmm. and they, Sort of, they they do a lot of like tongue in cheek, like they. It's no one won an Oscar for this movie, you know. Right. This this isn't supposed to be taken seriously, but if you just watch it in sort of that context of it's this fun action adventure film that's based on an '80s TV show that 25 years later they've decided let's make a movie out of this. 
I really enjoyed it. I, I like this movie a lot. And I've had a few people recently say like, oh, wait, you know, have you ever seen the A-Team remake? I'm like, yeah, I have it. I think it's great. So I really hope you like it. But I know you. You're going to hate it. And we'll come back next week. You can tell me all the reasons you think it sucks. Well, and the thing is. recommend a movie from the 80s and we'll go to that. I, I will say this. I got to give you kudos because this is the ultimate bridge between Gen X and the millennial pop culture that we do on this show is the A-Team movie. Because it's, you know, based on a, a Gen X show, but it's a millennial film. So so good on you for, for nominating it. Like I say, I'll watch it. We'll come back. We'll see if I like it. Who knows? I don't know. And like, I, like I mentioned at the top of the show, if you want to reach out to us, you can find us on Twitter at Amaron underscore DM. That's for Derek. At C. McBrien. That's for me. PopCosureWorld.com is our website. And you'll find all of our contact information there. And, of course, join us next, next episode. And we're going to be talking all about the uh, movie 18. <laughs> you know, it's going to be interesting. But until then, this is Chris McBrien for Derek Myers saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. 